Welcome to the East End Fellowship Podcast. East End Fellowship is a community of Christians located in Richmond, Virginia, with the goal of seeing every person become a disciple of Jesus and live in the joy and justice of God's kingdom. Our spiritual family meets weekly in house churches and on Sundays at our large gathering. The following is a teaching from our time together. We hope you feel encouraged, challenged, and delighted by what you hear. Happy MLK weekend. Uh, my name is Nathan Walton, co-lead pastor here at East End Fellowship. Um, yeah, yeah. God is good. At all the time. Amen, amen. Um, let me pray for us. Gracious God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are God and God all by yourself. But for some reason, you create and you invite into relationship. God, we thank you for the grace that that reflects. Thank you for the mercy that your ongoing relationship with us reflects. And God, thank you for this weekend, this time where we can be reflective about what it means to um, see people set free, to see people pursue you, um, to see your kingdom come more and more in its fullness as time goes on. God, we thank you for the ways that we've seen that in the past. And God, we are um, just expectant of, of you showing up and seeing that even more and more in our lives through your Holy Spirit's power. So God, thank you that all this begins with who you are, a God of justice, a God of freedom. Pray that you would equip us and mobilize us to be people who follow in your footsteps, not out of our own strength, but out of the power of your spirit. So God, be with us in this time as we worship you in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, I am, uh, I say it's a lot, but I really am. I really am excited. I'm excited. Um, and I'm excited because a lot of things, but one is today we're beginning a new sermon series. And um, yeah, yeah. And uh, this new sermon series is entitled, I Am. Very simple. It says a lot without saying anything really at all. But we're going to kind of plumb that a bit. Um, throughout this sermon series, we're going to focus on this question of how the God of Israel and Scripture has revealed himself. Um, we'll talk about, in the first half of the series, we'll talk a lot about how in the Old Testament, God reveals himself to the people of Israel. And then in the second half of the sermon series, we're going to be focusing on how God, um, how Jesus uses his I am statements in the Gospel of John, right? I am the resurrection, I am the way, the truth, and life, I am the bread of life, all these things, how he uses those I am statements to reveal more of who God is. And so um, last week we were reminded by Pastor Don that we have to ask ourselves if we actually believe who Jesus is, who he says that he is, right? We have to wrestle with that question. I think that's an important question for us, right? Who is this Jesus? Who is this God that he reveals? Who is the God who's revealed at creation, the God who's revealed at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3? Who is the God who's revealed in the coming of Jesus? And who is this God who's revealed at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and began the church? Who is this God? Today, we're going to begin exploring this question, and we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And so I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word if you're able. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. 
And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. So um, Moses, some of you know the story, Moses had grown up in Egypt but soon he became an exile in a foreign land called Midian. And there's a whole backstory to how he got there. But by chapter 3, Moses is making his living as a shepherd among a group of Midianites just out in the wilderness. But on this particular day, as we've noticed, something strange happens. He spots a burning bush off in the distance that is somehow not being consumed. And as if things couldn't get any stranger, the God of the universe speaks to him out of this bush, Right? And then God takes this one step further. God announces to Moses that he has not only seen the suffering of Israel, but will use Moses to deliver them from Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. This is not a typical day herding sheep, right? He probably wasn't planning on this. And honestly, I'm not sure what catches Moses off guard more in this encounter, the fact that God is speaking to him through a burning bush, or the fact that God is calling him to go back to Egypt where his people are enslaved, but in any case, Moses is not super enthused about this idea. His mind quickly rushes to all the reasons why this is not a good idea. Moses is probably afraid of the Egyptian authorities, right? Both because he is currently a fugitive who fled Egypt because he killed an Egyptian um, while he was defending an Israelite, and because God was calling him to stand against the ruler of Egypt. But he also was clearly concerned about whether he can serve as God's prophet. And later on, he talks a bit about, you know, I can't speak. Like, what do I do? And what I love about God's response when Moses says, who am I that I should do all this, is that 
God doesn't really answer his question directly. He doesn't say, oh, who are you? Here's who you are. Here's the way you could do this. Instead, he basically says, don't sweat it. I am with you. In other words, this isn't even really just a, isn't really about Moses. God is the one whose presence will ensure that he is successful. Moses comes to God saying, who am I? And God's response is basically, you must not get it. I am. Period. In some ways, Moses wasn't asking the right question because he had to learn that his success was all based on this God who had decided to free his people. Moses' limitations would not limit this God. So often in our lives, we can feel called by God to do something. But deep down inside, we actually think we are the ones that are responsible for making sure it happens, not realizing that it's always God who is in control. Um, I can tell you how many times I've talked to different preachers and pastors over the years, and um, I've had two different recurring conversations that I've heard. One is talking to a pastor who says, hey, you know what? Um, I, I knew I had to preach, and so I like put in a lot of prep time. I was doing all my exegesis, all these different things, right, to study. And I preached and just something, something just wasn't right. It just kind of fell flat. And I'm not sure what happened, but like it just didn't hit home the way that I wanted. And I've also had conversations with preachers who were like, you know, I ran out of time to do all the prep I wanted to do. And, you know, or it was a really hard week for me, but somehow God just showed up. Fire came from heaven, not really, but proverbially speaking, right? And so what's, what's interesting, interesting to me about that is those things are just reminders that, it's important to prepare, obviously. I did prepare for today. Um, <laughs> don't worry. Uh, but at the end of the day, our words are just words if God doesn't show up. If we conv- and Pastor Don talks about this a lot. Like if we convince ourselves that our own ingenuity, our own intelligence, our own hard work will make things happen, or even that it will free people, we're actually missing something really, really important. It's not actually about us. We play a role, but that's all grace. Even us being a part of this is grace. But it's God who shows up. It's God who makes these things happen. And what Moses fails to see is that this isn't actually about Moses at all. Moses needs to say yes. God could have made him say yes too, right? But God was gracious enough to give him a chance to join what God was trying to do. And so sometimes, you know, God showing up doesn't happen the way that we expect. And sometimes we don't even see all that God is doing, but it's God who's doing the work. And this doesn't just apply to preaching. This applies to all the ways that we seek to respond to God's call in our lives, right? So if you are working in healthcare, if you're working in education, if you're working in social services, whatever, you're entering into those spaces trying to respond, hopefully, to God's call, right? To make an impact. But if we think that we can figure that out, we're missing something. God is the one who makes our work effective, and God is the one who puts his fingerprints on our work to make that work his work. God is the I am. And I think we should spend some time kind of unpacking this idea of God being the I am. I don't, I've kept reading and I was like, I feel like I get this, but I don't really get this. What does this mean? And thankfully, I'm not alone because people have thought a long time about what in the world is God trying to communicate with this? How do we make sense of this? Scholars have debated for a long time, and uh, there are a lot of ideas and theories about how to interpret what God says here. Some scholars claim that in ancient Egypt, knowing a deity's uh, name or a god's name was assumed to give human beings some level of control over them, right? You know the name? You could summon them, right? There's some level of control. So one way to read this passage is to say that God is making a statement that, first, he is not like these other gods who can be controlled, but he's also not subject to human categorization. 
right? God is bigger than any conceptual box that we might try to use to compliment who God is. And God is even beyond human language. But at the same time, God doesn't turn to Moses and say, I'm not going to give you my name. He doesn't do that. He does say something. Depending on your translation of the Hebrew, God says, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. And this is slightly more clear in the Hebrew, but it's striking to me that God's name is first revealed as an active verb and not a noun. In other words, God is not this static being off in the distance, but a God who is alive and who is at work. And when you think about it, that makes sense within context. It's important to hear that God is an active God when your people have been in slavery for hundreds of years. It's important to hear that God is an active God when you are in exile from your homeland. And in our own lives, it's important to hear that God is an active God when there's so many voices and messages in our lives telling us that God is either unwilling or incapable of making a difference in a world full of suffering. The other thing I love about this, though, is that by saying that God is the I am who I am, there is not a limit to who God is or how God can show up. God is able to show up as a liberator when we are in bondage. He's able to show up as a healer when we're, in, we're sick or in pain. God is able to show up as a comforter when we are grieving. God is able to show up as a good father when we long for direction in our lives. There is no limit to who God can be or what God can do. In the Hebrew, God says, I am who I am. Eche, asher, eche. But this can also be translated, I will be who I will be. Because the verb is in what's called the imperfect tense. And this is... <laughs> Praise God. But this isn't... But think about it, right? This isn't the way that English usually functions, right? In English, we have the past tense, we have the present tense, we have the future tense. In other words, our verbs are usually about time, right? Past, present, future. I ran, I run, I will run. I preached, I am preaching, I will preach. <laughs> but in Hebrew, the words are related to action, right? A perfect tense is used for a completed action, and an imperfect tense is often used for an ongoing action. This is why saying I am who I am can also be translated, I will be who I will be. God is an ongoing and active reality, and neither time nor action can define or limit how God can show up. God is the great I am, and he will always be the I am. The amazing thing about this is that God is, is limitless. He's limitless and all-powerful, but he chooses to enter into this limited world using the mundane. God has this interesting habit of using the unlikeliest things to be active in the world. Pastor Don reminds us all the time of how in Numbers, God uses a donkey, right? God does that. In Jonah, God used a whale. In Genesis, God used a rainbow to communicate his promises. In the Exodus, God used a burning bush. In the Gospels, God uses a human body. The good news is that the Gospel is based on the willingness of this amazing God who cannot be contained, deciding to enter into a finite body. This is the great I am. The I am who is Emmanuel, God with us. And because this God is with us, the world can be redeemed and people can be set free. This is what Moses learned. Moses had all these hesitations, but later in chapter three, God says that the elders of Israel would stand with Moses. And in the next chapter, God tells him that Aaron, his brother, will be with him. And so Moses learns that when God calls us to do something, he will provide a way for us to accomplish it. When God calls us into his mission, we go with God's presence, 
we go with God's power, and we go with God's people. This is good news. And as we seek to apply this lesson in our own lives, for some of us, maybe there is an Egypt that God is calling us to enter. A place of risk, uncertainty, even hostility that God wants to walk with us through. Maybe it's a step of faith related to your career path. Maybe it's a conflict that needs resolving in your family or in your spiritual family. Maybe it's broken relationships or friendships that are crippled by unforgiveness or just unhealed wounds. Maybe it's an example of systemic brokenness in our city that God is calling you to enter into, to lean more into. The message of scripture is that God is not afraid of Egypt. Even the fact that God meets Moses at Mount Horeb is ironic because the name Horeb was, uh, was in the desert for one, and it also means wasteland. God chooses this wasteland as a site of his revelation. God is willing to enter places and situations where there seems to be no hope, where it's desolate, desolate and he makes those places holy ground. This is the great I am. He's not afraid of our Egypts. He's not afraid of entering into the messiness of sin, pain, and brokenness. He's willing to go there and go with us there. That's what the coming of Jesus is all about. And Jesus, God, physically entered this broken world and made a personal invitation to each of us to have a relationship with him and to experience healing. And not only that, he wants to use us to bring healing to others and shalom and redemption to our world. That's what Exodus 3 is about. God's not intimidated by Pharaoh's empire or Pharaoh's army. More on that later in the text. But God knows that he's a lot more powerful than they are. This means that he's not commanding us to be stronger than Egypt. He's inviting us to trust that he already is because he is the I am. This means that we can trust him. And when we cry out to God saying, who are we that we can make a difference in our family, in our neighborhood, in our city, in our church? God responds by saying, I am, and I am with you. Just as he gives Moses the power of a wooden staff and people to accompany him, God provides us with the power of the Holy Spirit and a community who will walk with us through life's difficulties. That's what spiritual family is all about. It's not about just getting together to sing songs, although I love songs. It's great. It's not about just hanging out. God wants us to leave here different than when we, the way we arrived here. God wants us to encounter him. God wants to bring healing. God wants to empower us to also help others along the way. Our scripture for tonight reminds us that God sees and hears the suffering of the innocent. And for those who know the Old Testament story, when Cain killed Abel, God said that the blood of Abel cried out to him from the ground. So the question is not so much does God hear the cries of the suffering around us, but do we? Do we hear those cries? The irony is that the reason Moses was in the wilderness in the first place was because he saw firsthand the suffering of Israel. He killed an Egyptian because he was defending an Israelite slave who was being attacked. But after fleeing Egypt and living in Midian for a while, he probably got a little more comfortable. Shepherd life, you know, it's a little bit, a little bit easier out there. So at this point in the text, he doesn't seem particularly confident or concerned about helping to liberate his people. He's preoccupied with his own life. It's so tempting to become so wrapped up in our own lives that we forget that there are people who are still dealing with the chains of Egypt. I, um, I couldn't help but think about the story of the transfiguration um, in Scripture. And some of you know the story where, you know, uh, Jesus is, um, he's with some of his disciples, uh, Peter and Peter, James and John, and they look and all of a sudden Jesus appears with Moses and Elijah and this is this glorious scene. And um, the disciples 
are enjoying this. They're up on this mountain saying that, and their response is, hey, you know, let's, let's set up some tents. Let's kind of pitch our, pitch our tent here and hang out. And Jesus was like, nah, nah, we, we got to go back down to the valley, right? They couldn't stay there, but it was so tempting to want to just sit in that moment, forgetting the work that needed to be done. And just as the disciples had to return to the valley, Moses has to return to Egypt. The same is true for us. There are people all around us who are suffering under the weight of a racialized world. People were dealing with the lingering effects of a discriminatory criminal legal system. People were coping with the impact of systemic injustice within healthcare. People were enduring the effects of an educational system fraught with opportunity gaps along racial lines. If we're honest, we don't even have to go to Egypt because in many ways we're already there. The problem is that we can become so blind to this if we live more like the proverbial Egyptians than as God's people. You can't identify and resist the empire when you are the empire. It's a little hard. But thanks be to God that he's king of another kingdom. And he's willing to enter Egypt, make us the people of God, and bring freedom into a land that had been filled with bondage. The question we have to wrestle with is this. If Exodus paints a picture of who God really is, do, we, do our lives paint a similar picture? In Exodus, God reveals himself as a liberator. Do our lives witness to that type of God? In what ways can our church pursue freedom for our community with even greater intentionality? Freedom from gun violence, freedom from economic disparities, freedom for an abundant life of holistic flourishing, freedom for a neighborhood in which mouths don't go hungry. Do people see the evidence of a God who cares about those affected by these issues when they look at us? For others of us here, maybe the challenge is not so much what is the Egypt that God is calling us to engage, but what is the Egypt that God is calling us to exit? Notice that it isn't until Moses leaves Egypt that he is able to be in a position to really hear God and develop a relationship with him. And the first thing God tells Moses to do is to help the Israelites get out of Egypt so that they can meet and worship God too. So what are the Egypts that stand between us and the intimacy with God that our hearts desperately need? What Egypts hinder our worship? What are the habits we need deliverance from or the people or places we need distance from in order for our soul to thrive, for us to fully enter into God's work, and for us to experience the life that we were always created for? This doesn't mean we need to be hermits or sectarians, right, who don't engage anything outside of church, but it does mean that we must be honest about what things in our lives are leading us back into Egyptian bondage versus which things are actually helping us be free. Honestly, that's what's at stake. Well, one thing, freedom. Worship is also at stake. But there's a freedom, a freedom to turn from the pharaohs of our lives and to turn towards the God that invites us to meet him in worship, even if it's in the wilderness, even if it takes a while, even if we wander a little bit or a lot, even if it causes us to depend on bread or manna day by day, even if it forces us to leave behind what is familiar and to trust God with our future. This freedom is communal because it requires being a part of a Christian family that encourages us when we fall, forgives us when we fail, and lovingly challenges us to be more and more faithful. That's what God wants for us. And while God could use a burning bush to say all this, he often resorts to other means of speaking to us. God could use the words of a Christian brother or sister. God could use an experience to get our attention. God could use the lyrics of a song. 
God can speak directly to our hearts or through scripture. Most of the time, the issue is not that God doesn't speak. It's that we don't take time to listen. Or there are things in our lives that deafen us to what God is trying to say. My prayer is that God would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what he desires for us. And that God would give us the courage and strength to rely on spiritual family around us as we seek to answer his call and to say yes to him in much the same way that Moses did. So a lot of this, what I want to do is just to pray for us because I could say more things, but what we really need is Jesus. We need Jesus working in us, working through us, and we need Jesus transforming us through his spirit. So please join me in prayer. Gracious God, thank you for hearing the cries of your people. God, thank you that you are a God who is present, a God who is here, and a God who is active. God, there's so many needs around us, and we want you to intervene in those spaces, but God, we also want you to be active in us. God, you call us your body in Scripture. God, make us a body that reflects you. Make us, make us a body that functions well. Make us a body that heals because of your spirit. Make us a body that is committed to going out and doing the work. And God, I pray that you would ground us in this truth of who you are so that we never are deceived or deluded into thinking we're doing this of our own strength. And I pray that instead we will be so compelled by the fact that the great I am has invited us into this work that we will commit ourselves to it. I pray that we be so compelled by your deep love for us, your mercy towards us, your forgiveness of us, that God, we will give our full selves to you. So God, I pray specifically for any of us who you are calling out of Egypt's in our lives, things in our lives that are hindering us being able to be with you and to worship, things in our lives that are hindering us from being able to say yes to the things you are calling us to do or to be. God, I pray that you give us the strength and the accountability to be able to say no to things we need to say no to. And God, I pray also for us who you're calling into different Egypt's, in our neighborhood, in our community, in our families, into these spaces that are fraught with hard, hardship, things that are just not of you. Places and spaces that you're inviting us to be your mouthpiece, to speak your truth. Places and spaces where you desire to work through us to bring healing and wholeness. God, I pray for our courage. So God, I pray most of all, God, that you would open up our eyes because we can't engage in something that we can't see. So I give us eyes to see the burning bush, and give us ears to hear your voice speaking loudly and clearly to us, that we might respond to you with obedience. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We appreciate you tuning in to the East End Fellowship Podcast. To see the full video of the sermon you just listened to, and for the best way to get in touch with us, check the show notes for all of our social media channels. For more information about how you can get involved with our community and to sign up for our newsletter, please visit eastendfellowship.org. Thanks again for listening.